0: Welcome to the Staying Ageless Podcast, a show that will equip you with the major keys to achieve extraordinary longevity. This is your girl, Associa E, also known as Royal Girl. I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach. And today on the show, we will be talking about how to create a healthy partnership, part To get this longevity party started, I'm going to give you guys some insights on more what research says about how choosing the right life partner can affect your long-term health. And later, we'll be chatting with our expert for today, Erica St. Bernard, a licensed family and marriage therapist. And if you missed our conversation in part one, go on back and listen to that one, and then come on back over here and listen to this one. All right. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you tuning into the show. If today's show inspires you. I'm inviting you to go ahead and subscribe and leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It means the world to me to get feedback. So any reviews are much appreciated. All right, y'all let's get into it. Some of today's most interesting research on the relationship between marriage and health is being led by a pair of researchers at Ohio State University College of Medicine. The duo, Ronald Glazer and Jan Kaikolt Glazer, are also fittingly married to each other. In what was to be the first of their many studies on marriage and health, the Glazers recruited 76 women, half of whom were married, the other half were separated or had divorced. They identified which married women were in troubled relationships, as well as which of the women were separated or divorced from their husbands and emotionally struggling the most using questionnaires. They then measured the women's immune system responses, tracking their levels of antibody production and other indicators of immunity strength. The results show that the women in unhappy relationships and the women who remain emotionally hung up on their ex-husbands had decidedly weaker immune responses than the women who were in happier relationships or were happily out of them. They also did another study that took blood samples and measured the response of being in a bad relationship in real time. As expected, the couples who exhibited the most negative and hostile behavior during the conflict discussion showed the largest declines in immune system functioning during the 24-hour study period. In yet another study, the Glazers looked at the effects that being in a conflict-ridden marriage has on the body's ability to heal. Using a small plastic suction device designed to leave eight tiny blisters on the arm and allow monitoring of the immune response at the wound sites, they measured how quickly or slowly physical wounds healed among married couples who had undergone different levels of marital stress. Each married couple after their forearms were subjected to the blistering procedure were asked to talk together for a half an hour. On one occasion, they were to discuss topics chosen to elicit their supportive behaviors, and then on another day, after undergoing the blistering procedures again, they discussed topics selected to evoke conflict and tension and try to resolve them. The results were remarkable. After the blistering sessions in which the couples argue, their wounds took, on average, child, a full day longer to heal than after the sessions in which the couples discuss something pleasant. Among couples who exhibited especially high levels of hostility when bickering, the wounds took a full two days longer to heal than those of the couples who have shown less animosity while fighting. Some conflicts are better than others. The University of Utah psychology professor Timothy W. Smith has addressed this question, studying how what he calls the emotional tone of conflict affects heart risk. In one study, he recruited 150 couples, most of who were in their 60s and married for an average of 36 years. All were in generally good health with no signs of heart disease. Smith collected video recordings of the couples discussing stressful topics like money management or housework. The arguments were then coded to indicate the number of warm, hostile, and controlling statements and words that were used in the course of the dispute. In addition, the couples were put in heart scanning machines to measure coronary calcium levels, which are a useful indicator of heart disease risk. Smith then compared each person's conflict style with their coronary calcium score. Smith's results suggest that there are important differences between men and women when it comes to health and the style of conflict that can jeopardize it. The women in his study who were at the highest risk for signs of heart disease were those whose marital battles lacked any signs of warmth, not even a stray term of endearment during a hostile discussion. For example, honey, you're driving me crazy, or a minor pat on the back or a squeeze on the hand, all of which can signal affection in the midst of anger. Most of the literature assumes that it's how bad the arguments get that drives the effect, but it's actually the lack of affection that does it. Smith discovered. It wasn't how much nasty talk there was. It was the lack of warmth that predicted the risk. For men, on the other hand, hostile and negative marital battles seemed to have no effect on heart risk. Men were at risk for higher coronary calcium score, however, when their marital spats turned into battles for control. It didn't matter whether it was the husband or the wife who was trying to gain control of the matter. It was merely any appearance of controlling language that put men on the path of heart disease. In both cases, the emotional tone of a marital fight turned out to be just as predictive of poor heart health as whether an individual smoked or had high cholesterol. Child, it is worth noting that the couples in Smith's studies were all relatively happy. These were husbands and wives who loved each other, yet many of them had developed styles of conflict that took a physical toll on each other. The solution, Smith noted, isn't to stop fighting. It's to fight more thoughtfully. All right, y'all, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we are going to speak to our amazing guest. Are you interested in living your best, healthiest life? I'm Asosa E, also known as The Raw Girl of therawgirl.com, and I'm a certified nutrition specialist and behavioral coach who specializes in helping you discover what exercise and diet is best for your body and get to the root cause and rebalance if you have a serious chronic condition. Clients who have worked with me have reversed diabetes, hypertension, balanced hormonally, gotten rid of acne for good, And lost hundreds of pounds. If you are interested in reaching your health goals with some support this year, visit therawgirl.com to sign up for a 20 minute call with yours truly. Until then, stay healthy and happy. Today's guest is Erica A. St. Bernard. She is a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist practicing in Bowie, Maryland, who has been in practice for seven years. She received her clinical degree for marriage and family therapy from Liberty University, and she provides therapy for adolescents, young adults, couples, and families in assisting them in reaching their personal and relational goals. She utilizes a variety of therapy models and techniques, including structural family therapy, client-centered therapy experiential therapy, and narrative therapy in order to support individuals, couples, and families as they improve and enhance their overall function in life and relationships. As an ordained minister, she also infuses faith-based, spiritually sensitive insights into her work. Thank you so much, Erica, for coming back to the show. You are the bomb.com, so I'm so glad you're here. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate that. So we talked about creating healthy partnerships, I want to go a little bit deeper. I heard you just wrote a book and child, I want to know all about it. I want to tell (laughs) you all about it. (laughs) So tell me what you were mentioning that in the book that you talk about five principles of marital relationships. I need to know these five principles or at least something about them that might, you know, you don't have to give me the whole, the whole (laughs) giveaway. Right, right, right. No, I wouldn't do that.
1: I definitely want you to take a read when you're ready. But yeah, they are definitely identifying the work five principles that I believe in my work with clients i have seen be beneficial, but then also in my own relationship with my husband of 15 years come July Um, that these principles have kind of been in work. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, the first principle I kind of dive into, the title of the book is We Over Me, Principles for Marital Partnership. And so I dive into what the meaning of We Over Me is and how how I came to that title, how I came to that understanding about how we might approach relationships. The second principle has to deal with the importance of our health as it contributes to our ability to experience wholeness in relationship. So we talk about that for a little Mm. bit. And I mentioned to you um, just before this recording that there's something about We think about people coming together and they say, you make me whole or my better half. And so I talk about the principle and the notion of showing up as whole individuals who are then joining with another whole individual versus a half and a half. Because if you're already a fragment, then I don't know how healthy things can really be. So we approach it from that vantage point. The third principle deals with the investments that are required, the investment of time, the investment of effort and the investment of energy. And then the fourth principle deals with um, the fruit that quality relationships produce, and so the fruits that might be just for the couple, that might be for the family, and then also for those beyond them. And then the last principle deals with the his and hers, which are the roles and responsibilities of the partnerships.
0: Okay, got you. And you and these five principles are to help us produce healthier relationships overall. Correct? Yes, healthier. Yeah. So it's the themed
1: for marital partnership but the reality is if we can apply each of these things kind of in, in different ways within any relationship certainly the dynamics mm. will be even more you know beneficial for both partners
0: you just mentioned his and hers uh, like that's almost like designating roles in, mm-hmm. in the, within the relationship. Yes, kind of. So I do use that
1: language because I know that it grabs people's attention, like his and hers. What does that mean? Gender roles? And so we explore some of the gender roles, but I also approach it more from the notion that we have roles, but we also have responsibilities. And the responsibilities aren't just to each other in terms of who does what, but in terms of how we care for one another.
0: Ooh. And how do you figure those out? Premarital counseling
1: is really, really helpful. (laughs) I say that as a premarital therapist because I do know, and even pre-engagement, I have quite a few couples now who are seeking pre-engagement counseling to prepare them for the journey that leads to purchasing rings and moving forward and so in that space, you kind of walk through the challenges, the barriers, the highlights, the things that sometimes don't get discussed. I think we talked about it on the first episode. The things that don't get discussed when you have, you know, rose-colored glasses and when things are all things amazing. And so premarital yeah. counseling is a great resource, but I, I list them out here in the book. And I do have some spaces and sections within the work within the book that are kind of like a workbook for you to kind of think through some questions as you process and consider each of these roles and responsibilities, as you consider yourself as a partner, but then also as you consider the way that your partner and relationship up with
0: them for you. Okay, gotcha and and do these roles have anything to do with our personal strengths or is this more of understanding someone's love language and then you know loving them the way that they need to be loved and taking care of them in the way they need to be taken care of?
1: It's a combination of the two. I appreciate the mention of love language because that's certainly something I encourage clients to be aware of, especially as they're embarking upon intimate relationships with a partner. But to really think about who we are and what we need as well. So we think of, um, you know, how we communicate. We think of how we, so it says one of the uh, points in the book is that relational partnership or relational protection prioritizes the well being of the couple's relationship over just about everything. And so, this idea that as we're coming together, we move from this notion of I'm an independent person doing my own thing to making consistent efforts and attempts to protect the unit, to protect the relationship. So in the same mm-hmm. way that we would hold a child's hand crossing the street, we also wouldn't throw our partner into the street. Like We would be checking to make sure they were safe. We would be intentional to consider our well-being as much as we consider the relationship's well-being. And So this idea of, again, taking a different approach to the roles and not just who does the cooking, who does the cleaning, who makes the money, but who is intentionally right. protecting our relationship in terms of our interaction with social media. Who is intentionally right. making sure that we have not just the financial things we need for provision, but who's also making sure that this is a safe space for us emotionally? How mm-hmm. are we tending to our sexual relationship? Who's in, you know who's responsible for making sure that our needs are communicated, but then also that our needs are met? And so really thinking about, again, not that it's all his responsibility and certainly it's not all her responsibility, but how together they share in the responsibilities to make sure that they are catering to each other where that seems appropriate, but then also more importantly, just communicating what they want and need and then offering each other meaningful feedback so that we can continue to get more of what we hope
0: for. Mm, That's good. Interesting. Okay. And um, how possible is it to still maintain a certain level of individuality within a marriage? Mm -hmm. And is that healthy or is that unhealthy? It is absolutely healthy. I talk
1: in the book, but also in my clinical work with clients about the necessity of making sure that you maintain compartments or not compartments, components. That's a better word. Components of who you are, who you were before you met your partner. The parts of you, the persons of you, the, you the aspects of you, the aspects of you that showed up when you met what were the things that drew you to each other? Because if you disconnect from all of those things because now you're partnered or because you're married, then you've lost a part of you, then that means your partner has lost a part of you that they fell in love with, a part of you that they came to appreciate. Mm. And so it is very important, even as we partner our lives, that we still make time, take time, and create opportunities as a couple, but also individually. And so in the book, I talk about the importance of time and the fact that we all hit the same 24 hours that you know, each day we get 24 hours. And whether we're partnered or not, we still have to determine how we'll use that time. And so as a wife or as a husband, you will need to determine how much of my time can I give to my partner, knowing that within that same 24 hours, there's some hours for sleep, there's some hours for work, there's some hours maybe for other family members, there's some hours for civic organizations and activities that we may be engaged with, maybe even for church and ministry for some of us. And so we map out all the time, but then we also need to make sure we are intentional to schedule time. That is just for us, and that time just for us could include things like you know that include our wellness, it could include our meal prep, it could include our you know fitness and exercise or movement, it could include our girls' time. I tell my couples that it is important to have couples time, but it's also important to have solo time. So a wife or a partner, a female partner needs time, and a male partner needs time to do the things that are important to them. And those things may be things they would do together, or maybe things they do completely separate of each other. Since yeah. the quarantine season, my husband and I have tried to do yoga together, and that has not been very successful. He's not been interested. He tried one time though, but that is my thing, and so I'm intentional on the days when he and I can't work out together to make sure I get my yoga in because that's a thing that is important to me. That's a thing that helps me feel grounded and centered, and so you know it's a thing that I do for me, and he does his things for him. So that's a simple example of how we can be intentional to do the thing that we need to do for us, even while we are intentional to do the other things as well.
0: I like that you mentioned you know all the different things we have to deal with in a 24 hour period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, I've heard someone, I think I remember someone saying to me, it was a married couple that I was asking questions to, and they were just like, just talking about how they're, they've continually invested time in each other and never really lost the spark, et cetera. But it's kind of like, how much time is enough time? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that it, it's different for each person. But I think that what happens over time for a lot of people is it just slowly but surely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ends up being 15 minutes <laughs> yep yeah that's exactly what it is it's like a slow fade right
1: there's this time mm-hmm. where when we are, when we're in people call it the honeymoon phase like we are all things to each other and oh my gosh you smell great and i want to be with you all the time and then you know that wanes a little bit over time cuz we got to get back to work after we come home from honeymoon and then maybe you know we build businesses and we you know create or build families and we do all these great things and so then those Things that we've built that are blessings and that we're grateful for begin to sometimes crowd out the time that we used to use or used to allocate for our relationship or even sometimes for ourselves, because maybe we are in entrepreneur mode and we've got to get this business not just off the ground, but we got to get it soaring really high. And so it's making sure, and I mentioned it in the book, that, again, this healthy relationship is sustained through intentional efforts to you know put the time in it's a constant investment we can't make a deposit today and that be the last time we make a deposit our bank accounts don't work that way our gas tanks don't work that way we fill up and we have to be intentional to continue to add to the you know, the, the reservoir so that we have access to the things we need over time
0: mm mm-hmm. What is the difference between compromise and collaboration in a relationship?
1: That's a great question. So I think of compromise, and I think a lot of people think of compromise, and they frown. I don't frown, but I, I get the value of it. When we think of compromise, I think there's an opportunity for us to consider that there are some things that person A wants and things that person B wants, and those things are different. They're not the same. And so compromise is figuring out if there is a way for us to get some of what we both want. Right. So if it is a dinner, if we're trying to figure out where we want to go for for dinner, that's an easy example, but not so much for some people. We want to figure out where we're going to go for dinner and we might decide a compromise would be, you know, to choose an appetizer that we both like. And then certainly we both get our own entrees and not have to share those. Collaboration is a little bit different because it suggests that we're working toward the same goal. And so Mm. even though I may like chicken and you may like steak, there's an opportunity for us to acknowledge that the goal is that we're both fed. And so how do we make sure that happens? Right. So we get beyond the weeds of things and we get to what is the ultimate goal and how do we align ourselves and our actions such that the ultimate goal is what we're seeking and is what we're reaching for. The other thing with collaboration is the acknowledgement that I may not get what I want right now and you may not get what you want right now. But this opportunity sometimes like for us to play volleyball, like we're volleying back and forth. It's your turn. Now it's my turn. So it may not be that on a given day, we're both in a space where we are super delighted and excited about where we are. But this role and opportunity for us, as we talk about the roles and relationships part of the book, is for me to support you as you support me. So we take turns. Maybe right now you're in school and you're finishing your program. And so I am tending to the other things that are important to us. And then it's time to switch and you go to school or you do the thing that you need to do. So there's this opportunity for us to be present for each other in ways that matter most. And I think that's really important, kind of takes us back to those love languages. If your partner's love language is quality time and it is school season for you, you have to be that much more intentional to make sure that you eke out some time that is quality time so that your partner doesn't feel neglected while you are pursuing school. Because school may be Mm. a part of the collaborative dream that you have, but if we're losing sight of the partner, the partners in their respective spaces, then we may be kind of putting ourselves in an odd and awkward space.
0: No, that makes sense. Do we need boundaries from our actual partners in in the realm of marriage, or is that something that doesn't exist in a marital partnership?
1: (laughs) I think boundaries exist in every relationship, in every partnership, whether romantic or otherwise. Um, I think each couple, and what I tell couples is that we each have to find our own rhythm because the boundaries for one couple may not work well for another couple. And so I would not say that there is a standardized, you know, uh, process for developing boundaries. But I do suggest to clients and i try to model for myself within our marriage too, that there are some things that I need to hold fast to because they're good for me, or he needs to hold fast to because they're good for him. And I think, again, communication is the most effective way for boundaries to be decided upon and also enforced. So it's not, you know, I think to your point, boundaries are great. We need them in every relationship. The way that we kind of, um, manage those boundaries, I think again, is rooted in really healthy communication where we are clear with ourselves first. Why is this so important to me? And once we can articulate that clearly such that our partner can understand they, there usually isn't a whole bunch of pushback. It's when we just say, because I want it this way, that there's Mm -hmm. some pushback, but if we can be really clear and say, you know what I need this time, um, say my, I'll give you an example. you know, if a person is very adamant that they've got to let's go with the yoga example, they got to do yoga and it's got to be at 6 a.m. because that's their peak time and that's when the personal trainer that they watch online is available and there's no other time, then the par- partner has kind of outlined their case and it's like, yeah, why fight that? But it's when we are like, yeah, but I just need what I need and there's no real rhyme or reason and there's no real clarity and it's just, mm-hmm. it just feels like a demand more than a request. And so I think that's the other piece too. Boundaries are for us. We have to remind ourselves of that, that the boundary is for the person who sets the boundary. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it can feel like I'm being pressed upon by my partner or by somebody else. And so we have to really examine why I set the boundary in the first place and then use that energy to help us to hold the boundary, but then also to effectively communicate why the boundary is so necessary for us.
0: That's good. You talked about communication. Are there ways that we can deepen communication? I feel like communication happens on so many levels. Mm -hmm. I mean, we got the verbal, we got the you know the Mm -hmm. visual, physical,
1: nonverbal
0: nonverbal Mm -hmm. stuff. We even get spiritual communication, especially as women. Yes. Um, So (laughs) knowing. Yes. Yeah. 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 Sure. How do we? Are there ways that we can deepen communication? Because I know that sometimes people feel like you know. Men are, what is the thing about women being from being, men are made on Mars? Yeah.
1: So something about <laughs> women are from Mars, men, men are from Venus, whichever, <laughs> whichever way it goes.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: So there are definitely ways for us to deepen communication. I think that's one of the great values and benefits of intimacy. And certainly we say the word intimacy and a lot of people go immediately to sexual intimacy. But I tell clients that sexual intimacy is only as great as our other in- levels of intimacy are. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yes, you can have great sex with a partner. Sure. I'm not telling you cannot, but I also am telling you because I've heard clients say, that when they are feeling connected to their partner emotionally yeah. and psychologically and spiritually, the sexual yeah. experiences are that much more amazing, right? And so it's right. important for us to consider, as you suggested, different levels of communication. And so it requires some time. It's not like we can meet a person, whether in person or online, and then kind of get together, get married, and then you know kind of do the whole, quote unquote, happily ever after. There's a whole lot of effort and work and conversations that go into that. A lot of tweaking, a lot of discerning what our partner's love language is, what their communication style is, working through old hurts and pains and dealing with some of that stuff in therapy, but then also sharing what's appropriate with our partner about the history we have so that we can understand each other, so that we can understand when my face looks like this, that's what I'm thinking or feeling, or when I say this kind of thing, this is what I really mean. But then I'm also learning how to go the next step, which is what I help clients do in therapy. You might say a certain thing and expect your partner to get it. I help you understand that your partner is not going to know what you expect if you have not clearly mm. stated the expectation. And so kind mm. of walking through what those different, as you suggested, parts of communication are. You know, I call clients out in quotes. When even now in this virtual space, I'll see a facial expression or I'll see a shift in body posture and I'll say, hey, tell me what just happened. And like, what do you mean? I'm like, you did this thing with your mouth or you did this thing with your eyebrow. And I'm like, you saw that? And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about it, right? So this opportunity, again, as you suggested, that our communication far exceeds what we say with our mouths. It, mm-hmm. you know, it impacts the physicality of us. We make certain expressions. We change our body posture. We might get up and walk away. And that's a whole level of communication. No, I didn't say anything, but my body responded. Sometimes our foot is twitching or maybe our hands get sweaty. There's something that's happening. And so back when I was in school, there was this whole notion Um, that you cannot not communicate, Mm. like it's impossible. (laughs) So this idea that we kind of really take into account the fullness of who our partner is and who we are even to explore how we can be more effective in our communication.
0: Love it. How important is an internal journey to our external manifestation of a healthy partnership or maintenance of a healthy partnership?
1: It's essential. Um, One of the things I talk about in the book and just in practice with clients, which is how it made it into the book, is that we really do have to do that thing that, you know, our good old Michael Jackson told us about starting with the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror. It's really being intentional to be self-reflective, to really think about who I am and where I am and what I want and what type of partner will compliment me, what type of partner I will compliment. And so it is really important that we would be intentional to do that work. And sometimes it's hard work, which is why a lot of people opt out of it. But what Mm -hmm. I do know is that a lot of people have said, even those that come to me after they've already gotten married and then they realize, okay, wait, this stuff that I thought I could tiptoe around or stuff in the closet is not going away. They come back and they say, you know what, after doing this soul searching or this kind of self-reflective work, I am such a better partner, maybe because I'm clearer about things, or maybe I'm just a better me and that helps me be a better partner, right? Because again, the relationship is built upon two individual people, two people with the hope hope that they're whole people. And so if you show up fragmented in a relationship, there's an opportunity because all of us do, nobody's whole and complete. We got stuff we're working on, even when we are in a healthier space, there's still stuff to work on. But even if we show up and we've not done any of the work, there are going to be some limits to what we can experience in terms of relational health. And so it's important for us in the same way that we go to our primary care physician for our annual checkups or for, you know, our blood work and those kinds of basic routine things, those things are designed to kind of, um, you know, give some sort of indication about the quality of our health at this moment. And so the feedback we receive from that type of inquiry is really beneficial for us because it forecasts for us what we can look forward to. And the same thing can happen in the context and course of therapy or other self-reflective work is that we can figure out where I am personally, because that is going to show up hands down in how I partner. Mm, mm,
0: mm, mm. Does it show up even when, can we blame ourselves for, for drawing a toxic or an abusive relationship to our experience?
1: I would, I would not go so far as to say we could blame ourselves. I know that a lot of people do. I challenge them to, or should I say, I invite them to consider that there are, some, there are many variables at play. And so even if all you've known is toxic relationships, you can learn something new.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: this opportunity to practice some self-compassion, some self-empathy, some self-love, to acknowledge that maybe I did not know now then what I know now. And as mm-hmm. a result of that, I'm going to do this work of figuring out who I am or what I want or what I need so that I can show up in relationship in different ways. And then sometimes the challenge for people is that sometimes that work is best done when we are not partners right? And when we leave a toxic relationship, some of us jump right back into relationship because we're so used to being partnered and the thought of not being partnered is frightening for all the reasons that it could be. And so we are, you know, we finish with relationship A and we jump into relationship B, not having tended to any of the woundedness or the pain or the hurt of the previous relationship. And we sometimes find ourselves in familiar patterns because we've not addressed the underlying things. And so, you know, the notion of, Giving ourselves time to heal, so to speak, but then not even just to heal, but to process what that relationship was like, what I gained from that relationship, but also maybe what I lost in that relationship and how I may be able to reclaim some of the losses if that's possible Mm -hmm. or just prepare differently for how I want to show up in the next relationship.
0: Love it. I think my last question is, what do you feel... I mean, I know it's going to be different for every single person, but there probably are some core things that could be common denominators. Like what do you feel are some of the strongest, I guess the strongest ways to lay a healthy foundation from the beginning? mm mm-hmm. I am so biased, but I would
1: definitely say premarital and pre-engagement are super great. <laughs> right, I really do. Like, like I am. me. <laughs> yes, and that yeah, I'm so I'm I'm just I'm invested in the work enough to know that that mm. is really what helps us to establish a solid foundation. Mm. I'm not suggesting that it's the end all be all. I'm not suggesting that if you do this work, you won't have issues in your marriage, but the hope and the goal of premarital and pre-engagement counseling is to help you sift through some of the things that you otherwise would look over. Hmm. And then in the process of doing that, you gain some skills and you gain some insights and some understanding about your own behaviors, your own thoughts, your own feelings, but then also you learn about your partner in the same way. You learn about their history and in, in relationship to their parents. You learn about their marriage model. You learn about what it was to grow up in the household that they grew up in. You learn about what it was to manage money in their household. So all these things that tend to show up once we're married and we're trying to navigate life together, we talk about some of those things in the premarital space that can be really, really helpful. And for partners or for people who aren't quite partnered yet and are thinking about relational health, I think it's great to invest in some of the self-work we just spoke about, whether it is individual counseling with the notion that I want to prepare myself for healthy relationships. I don't think that we should only do it for the relationship. Um, I ch- challenge my clients, you know, like, this is for you. This is not just about your marriage. This is not just about your children. But the changes that you're making at this point that will benefit them are really to benefit you first. And so kind of back to that analogy of securing our own oxygen mask first, right? We're on flights. They tell us that whether we're seated in coach or first class, the message is the same. We need to secure our own, own oxygen mask first. And so If we're going to be able to healthily partner with other people or another person, we need to make sure that we are intentional to take care of ourselves. And that means mind, body, soul, and spirit in whatever ways we kind of align with those things.
0: So good. Um, Erica, where can people find you online? And the book is We Over Me, right? Yes. The book is We Over
1: Me, Principles for Marital Partnership. It is in the final stages of publication and will be available really soon website, web address is www.yourlifeswell. That is the name of my clinical practice that is based in Bowie, but is now all things virtual. Again, it is <laughs> www.yourlifeswell.com. And then um, handles for social media are the same at yourlifeswell. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Of course. I appreciate you as well, Isosa. Thanks.
0: All right, y'all, it's time to take some questions from Instagram and email. Remember, if you would like to have your question answered on the show, all you got to do is send me a DM, slide up in my DMs, or respond to the call for questions on my profile at TheRawGirl, or contact me via my website, TheRawGirl.com. Today's question is from Rebecca via email, who says, Dear Raw Girl, I hear it's good for me to take a probiotic. But mine always makes my stomach upset. Is there anything else I can do to get my probiotics in? Should I switch brands? Hi, Rebecca. This is actually a really, really good question. If I were seeing you one-on-one, I would want to know what the brand was you were taking and what strains were in it, and also just in case, um, if you had any other pre-existing digestive issues. But not all probiotics are equal, and. They might be hard on some people's bodies to process because the strains available are different depending on different brands. What I usually tell my clients who don't have a good experience with taking probiotics is to just switch to eating fermented foods. So fermented foods will allow you to get in good bacteria that you need from a whole food source, which shouldn't cause stomach upset. Some of the foods that you can incorporate include sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha. You can also incorporate yogurt. And if you don't do dairy, there are many plant-based yogurts out there using a nut base or a coconut base. All you want to do with those is watch the sugar content to make sure it's not excessive. I really hope this helps you. All right. That is all she wrote for today. I really hope that this show gave you more insightful information into how to create a healthy partnership that operates like a team and the importance of handling conflict without hostility. As you heard, choosing the right partner and also fighting in the most thoughtful way can be beneficial for healing and even your immunity. If you know you can do better in your partnership, have a discussion with your partner or perhaps seek additional support from a counselor like our guest. As the research shows, your health will improve as you improve your communication styles. Today, I leave you with a quote from Fawn Weaver. The greatest marriages are built on teamwork, a mutual respect, a healthy dose of admiration, and a never-ending portion of love and grace. Hope that if you are partnered or are considering it, um, you will find a way to nurture these qualities in your relationship. Well, that's all for today, sis. If you're looking for more health tips or have a question for the show, find me on Instagram at the raw girl. You can also find me and contact me through my website, therawgirl.com for more about the show to subscribe and to listen to past episodes visit stayingagelessshow.com